Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. All right, we're going to John chapter 18. Come, Lord, open our ears. We want to hear your voice. Open our eyes, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to see you and watch you. We want to be like you. We want you to to lead us. We present to you soft hearts. That that which is truly you, we choose, even before we hear, to obey you. To walk in your ways and to, to, to submit to you gladly. For your ways are life. So come, Lord, bless us, grace us, open the word, and grace me to, to let us see you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're John chapter 18. I'll start at verse 10. This is a long evening, a long night, you might say. It started in the, in the early evening as, as Jesus took the disciples into an upper room. Uh, it's, it's John Mark's mother, Mary, owns the house. I don't know her, her husband's name. But he, I think he's there too. They own this house with a large upper room in Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus met with his disciples. It also is where the disciples were on the day of Pentecost. This kind of is the meeting place for, the, for that beginning of the church. And so they're in the upper room. He, he washes their feet. He serves them. Uh, the Passover meal, in that he takes out the bread and the cup and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is, this is my blood which is shed for you and does that beautiful presentation which we still do today. He taught them then the deep things. Judas Iscariot left. He went to the temple police uh, to report Jesus' location. I know where he is. He's in such and such a house uh, right now. You can arrest him. So he's on his way to report Jesus. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples very intensely about the life of the Spirit. Uh, this is this final evening. He, he, he just bores in and he says, you are going to have the, the, the blessing of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And in the, that indwelling Holy Spirit, you will walk with me as I have walked with the Father. Just as I have done what I see him do and spoken what I hear him speak, you will do the same. I will lead you. I will bring you what the Father has. And, I, and as you hear, you'll speak. As you see, you'll do. You'll walk in the same power. In fact, you'll do greater works than I've done. And I'm still chewing on that one. I still, you know, we all say more works, better. How do, how do you do better? But anyway, uh, he, 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 laid, he raised the bar. Let's just say that. <laughs> he expects a lot. So this is the life he expects them to live. He just, he just teaches them all those beautiful things. Just pours it into them. And then he concludes the evening by... At some point, by the way, he left that upper room because he knew Judas was coming. And he goes out into the moonlight. It's a full moon always on a Passover. He's out there in the moonlight and he huddles them up somewhere and continues teaching. He just pours into them. And then he lifts his eyes and looks into heaven and prayed for them. First of all, he prayed for himself and asked for the, for the blessings that God had promised him. Uh, he said, I, I, you, you said I would, I would have authority over all flesh and what I want is souls. I want that authority that I might win the world and bring them to you, Father. Isn't that beautiful? He, so he's, he's standing in his promises. And then he prayed for the 11. 
Because if those 11, this is the 12 minus Judas Iscariot, he pray, if he, as he prayed for them, if they fail their assignment, we, none of us will hear the gospel. None of us will know the truth. They, they, those men, those 11 men, uh, were the ones through whom the, the faith would be transmitted. So he prays earnestly for them. And then he prays for all of us. Opens up and begins to pray for us. And when he was done praying, he went across from somewhere there in Jerusalem. He went across the Kidron Ravine. It's a, it's a wadi. Uh, and it's not a very deep one there. It begins right there in the hills, just right by the temple area. It, he went across the wadi to the Mount of Olives to an area where there was an olive press, a Gethsemane. That's what a, an olive, uh, the word means, olive press. And somewhere there in an enclosure, he began to, uh, he took his disciples and he began to pray. He was waiting for, G for Judas. But in the course of that, took about an hour, he prepared himself for what was ahead. We're going to look at that today. It's quite a lesson because we watch Peter and we watch Jesus. And uh, the lesson is that we desperately are weak, but he provides a strength for us. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. John 18, verse 10. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Judas has, has come with the, with the, with the, the crowd of, of, of temple police and some of the Pharisees and their assistants and a few of the priests. And they're there, and they approach Jesus. They, at one point, grab him. They actually reach out and grab him. At that point, Peter, Peter, Peter flares. He pulls his sword out, and he sw swings at the guy, and he misses his head. It's obviously he meant to do some damage. He went wet for the head. Come on. And he cuts off the ear. He, Peter has now created a crisis. Uh, we have the kind of environment where all the rest of the soldiers are going to pull their swords and kill the rest of the disciples. He's put everybody at risk. Jesus says to the, those who hold him, permit me to do this. Uh, some of the translations are like, you know, stop this or something. It's, I don't know why they said that. Because the Greek says, Jesus says, permit me to do this. Let, let me go. He then apparently, in my, I assume, picks the ear up and sticks it back on. That, that calms the situation. Everybody's, <laughs> especially Malchus. Yeah, more to say on that in a minute. I mean, just think about that. You know, you, you watched your ear on the ground and it's now back on. So he, it sort of shocks everybody. And then they do let the, the, the 11 go and they take Jesus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? That's what we looked at, the cup of suffering. He says, shall I not submit to what the Father wills? So, verse 12, mine says the Roman cohort. The word Roman isn't there. The word cohort isn't there. Uh, it's simply a Greek word meaning a band of soldiers. And the officer, the captain really. And then it says, mine says the officers, it isn't officers, it's the assistants. Forgive me, I don't know why they translate it this way. They're making it hard for me. The band of soldiers and their captain and the assistants, the huperites, the, 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 the people that work for the Sanhedrin, arrested Jesus and bound him. 
and led him to Annas the first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. John apparently knows Caiaphas. He at least knows Annas. And Caiaphas is an, is an ungodly man. The whole family is ungodly the, of these high priests. They have, with money, purchased the position of high priest. They aren't descendants of Aaron. I, I don't know if they have any of that in them. But they, they are not legitimate high priests. They purchased it from the Romans. So it's a foul family. And so John marvels that this man, when he was plotting to kill Jesus, said this. It's expedient for us that one man die rather than the whole nation. Because that's what Jesus was doing. He was dying for all the rest of us. Simon Peter was following Jesus. And so was another disciple. And now that disciple was known to the high priest. Who's that other disciple? John. John has a piety. He has an attitude that says, I'm not putting my name or my family members' names in this book as I write it. So he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Here he calls himself another disciple, but it's him. Now that, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Did you hear what I just said? Who's that other disciple? And who does he know? How well does he know him? To such a degree, did you just follow what he said? That he is allowed, that he and Peter follow Jesus as he's led captive into, back into Jerusalem. He is taken to the, he is taken to the uh, high priest's house, which they have found. That last year, if you went on the trip to Israel last year, we went there. It is a huge expanse. They've actually excavated the whole thing, and it's under all these stores and shops. I mean, they've built this great uh, structure so that all these buildings up above, and then you go down, and you can see this large uh, high priest's house with all sorts of uh, mikvahs. Those are those ritual baths in them, numerous ones. Uh, elaborate uh, mosaic floors and, and frescoes on the wall. The meeting room is there with its frescoes. <laughs> so I, I've seen the room where this where Jesus is, is now tr being tried before Annas and Caiaphas. And the courtyard where Peter waits is there. It's, 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 it's the, that limestone uh, tile floor. It's about the size of this carpet that I'm standing on up here. It's about that big. And I would say that the meeting room is maybe halfway down the aisle here. And it, it is, by the way, over to the right. And there's a hall and a door here that if Jesus were led out, he would go by. It's all there. I've been there. So have a bunch of you. We'll go again, by the way, next year. But Peter was standing outside at the door. Now, he's outside the outside gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers, the slaves and the assistants to the Sanhedrin, were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold 
And they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. That, uh, that court I'm mentioning is open air. It's, it, it is, it's surrounded by rooms, but it, it itself is open air. Now let's skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off. Now, I'm telling you, it's a small world. If you make an enemy, their brother-in-law is going to work right next to you, or you, know, you, just, you just cannot get away from this. So he slices off the guy here, and now we're dealing with his, his, what, his brother, his cousin. And he says, aren't you the guy that cut off my brother's ear? Right about here. And Peter said, uh, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Failed resolutions. There comes a time in most people's life when they discover how weak they are. How soon that happens varies from person to person. Some learn the lesson when they are very young, others not until much later. Some discover it by a series of small events, others only after a massive failure. We learn how weak we are. Have you learned, have I learned how weak I am without God's help? You can always tell a person whether they're there. You know, if there's some issue, they say, no, 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 don't worry about it. I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm not, I'll never do this again. I so promise you, I will never do it again. When they talk like that, they're so going to do it again. <laughs> Why? What are they relying on? Their willpower. I don't doubt for a moment that they mean I don't want to do it again. Sometimes I suppose they don't. But they don't want to, they're not, they're not, they're not lying. They're proud. If you want to use a biblical word for it, they're proud. What are they doing? They're saying, I have in me the resolve and the strength to make myself do the right thing and I'm going to. You just watch me. They have not yet discovered their weakness. Some people do it by small incremental situations. After a while, they just realize, wow, other people have a massive collapse. They do something they promised themselves they would never do. And they shock themselves. I can't believe I did that. One of the things I will watch for as a pastor is every so often somebody's kind of going along fine. And then they just instantly overnight crash into depression and there's no apparent reason for it now I don't I, I understand lots of reasons for depression believe me but there is one of them that I have noticed and that is I don't even know that I would call it depression it's grief they go into this massive grief where they have failed themselves they have done something they promised they would never do they were sure they would never do and yet they have done it and they're shocked they're stunned. They're not the person they thought they were. And they, and, and, and they can, in that moment, crash into a self-loathing and, and wish they could die. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. Uh, we'll, we'll continue with this. There's help here. Some easily admit their weakness and seek help. Others are deeply ashamed of their weakness and try to hide it. But the fact remains that all of us encounter temptations and situations which have the power to overwhelm us. No matter how much we desire to do the right thing, we find ourselves doing the very thing we promised ourselves we would never do. Peter provides a great illustration of someone struggling with their weakness. Jesus had tried to warn him, but Peter refused to listen. 
He was so sure of his love for Jesus and so unaware of the powerful forces which were about to attack him that he actually defied him, Jesus, telling him that his warning was unnecessary. He was absolutely confident he would not fail, and if, even if all the others did. And then when those horrible events began to unfold, Peter frantically tried to keep his promise. And in doing so, put the lives of all the disciples at risk. That's why he swung the sword. He had said, I'll die with you. And in his mind, the way things were going to go down was when, if they ever tried to attack his Lord, he was going to fight to the death. Now, Jesus has been saying, I'm going to surrender. But Peter does, does not accept that. So when, when Jesus suddenly uh, surrenders himself and they grab Jesus, Peter goes right into his scenario. And he starts swinging this sword and just about got them all killed. In the end, he fled just as Jesus said he would, and discovered that he was as weak as Jesus said he was. But Peter's weakness that night did not mean he would always fail. In fact, it was the discovery of his weakness that became an important step in his development as a disciple. It showed him the power of the forces arrayed against him. It showed him the difference between his flesh and his spirit. Would you say his flesh and his spirit? This is an extremely important thing to get a hold of. We'll say more. It taught him what to do in the future. So he needn't fail again. And it certainly left him a different man. A humble man whom Jesus could trust to strengthen others who were also weak. Today we'll observe Jesus as he coaches Peter through the process. We'll hear him warn Peter. We'll hear him explain why he was so certain Peter would fail. We'll hear him assure Peter that he would be restored and we'll hear him give a humbled Peter a new assignment. Peter nearly ruined Jesus' plan to negotiate his disciples' release. As men moved forward to seize Jesus, Peter reacted by pulling out the sword he carried and swinging it at the high priest's slave, cutting off the man's right ear. In Peter's defense, he had just watched Judas step forward and kiss Jesus on the cheek. And to those who knew Jesus so well, that spectacle must have been revolting to them. That, it was, you, you hear John mention it. You hear the, it was shocking to them to look across and see one of them, one of the 12, who has been with them, has been camping with them, sleeping with them day and night uh, for the last two and a half years. They have been together, and here's this man on the other side. And then he steps forward and does this really deceitful thing. He kisses the Lord on the cheek and, 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 and greets him as a sign to these people that this is the one to arrest. And, and they're just, they're just, they just, that did it, I think. Peter just... <laughs> When they went for out comes the sword, he probably would like to take Judas out. But had Jesus not stepped in to calm the situation, Peter's action might have started a fight which would have left, would have left all the disciples dead. Jesus quickly spoke to those who had seized him saying, permit me to do this. And then he touched the man's ear and healed it. It is not said, but I would suppose he picked the ear up and put it back on. That miracle so shocked the entire group that the fight was prevented. Jesus had previously warned his disciples that they would abandon him when he was arrested. And they had all refused to accept his warning. But Peter had defiantly announced, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And there is no reason to question his sincerity. 
we can see by his response that night that he fully intended to defend Jesus, even if it meant dying in the attempt. Yet for some reason, in spite of all Jesus had said to the contrary, Peter still assumed that Jesus would fight or flee to avoid arrest. You see, he's got his own understanding of what he thinks Jesus is going to do. In other words, Peter expected to die in battle defending his Lord. That's why he swung the sword. He was prepared to fight, but what he wasn't prepared for was Jesus surrendering without a struggle. That left him confused and frightened and helped to, helps explain why Peter ended up denying Jesus so soon afterward. It's interesting to note that John chose to report the name of the high priest's slave. He tells us the slave's name was Malchus. The question is, why would we need to know that person's name? The reason may be nothing more than the fact that John knew the man's name and simply decided to mention it. After all, he knew the high priest so well that, that the household servants recognized him and permitted him to follow Jesus into the high priest's house. Do you see that? He comes to the gate, and the, and the young woman who's there guarding, is, is, well, guarding, she's the attendant at the gate who lets him in or out. She knows him by face and lets him right in. And then Peter comes there and behind. She goes, nope, not you. She knows John. So John may know Malchus. It's, 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 he may just tell us the name because he knows it. Their familiarity with John seems to indicate that his family was more prominent than we would have realized. You notice that. We keep hearing these sermons about Jesus with these 12 country bumpkins. You know, they keep, they keep likening, you know, this, this, uh, this ragtag bunch of idiots, and he turned them into these great people. That is really silly. Here's a, here's a man who can walk into the high priest's house recognized. The house of Zebedee is more prominent than we know. Okay, and Jonathan has a residence in Jerusalem. So there's just all kinds of things we don't know. But, but here's, here's, here's John, and he's, he, he's known this way. However, there's another possibility. John may have named Malchus because Malchus later became a follower of Jesus. And he knew some who read this gospel would recognize that name, much like Simon of Cyrene, whose sons, if not himself, became believers. Do you know, who's Simon of Cyrene? He's the man who picked up the cross. Remember the story? Okay, it'll, it'll be happening shortly here. Where, where Jesus is carrying his cross, they have, they have scourged him, which means torn all of the skin off his back. It's just, ugh. And, and so blood has poured out of him. He's very weak. And he's, meant to, he's supposed to carry this heavy cross beam, which I think he'd be like 100 pounds. He's carrying this cross beam through the streets, and he goes down. And he's not coming up. He does not have the strength. They can't whip him up. There's, there's nothing like that. And so they turn, the Roman soldiers turn, and they just grab somebody who's nearby. They look and say, you, come here, pick it up. And they have this Simon of Cyrene pick this thing up. And he then has to carry this behind Jesus and, 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 and be there. That, if, if he didn't become a Christian, and I think he did. I'll, in fact, I'll, I'll show you where. His two sons, Rufus and Alexander, did. Mark tells us that. And, and then Paul, in his letter to Romans in chapter 16, he talks about Rufus, who's now in, in Rome. And he, and he speaks to Rufus, and he says, your mother, meaning Simon's wife, was like a mother to me. You know what I think? And that's, he was speaking of when they had been in Antioch. I think that, that Simon of Cyrene and his wife took Paul in up in Antioch. 
when he, when he was up there. Remember those years teaching when, and all of that. So you have here a man who, following Christ, holding that crossbeam, came to faith as he watched. How about this? Malchus comes home with blood all over his toga or robe. And his wife goes, what happened to you? He says, well, you're going to have a hard time believing this. <laughs> um, see my ear? Huh. Pull on it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Harder. It's attached, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so I'm out there, and this idiot slices my ear off with a sword. And it goes down on the, and this guy, and this Jesus, you've heard about this Jesus? He picks the thing up, and he sticks it on. Go ahead, pull it again. <laughs> if you were Malchus, what would you do the next morning? <laughs> Wouldn't you? That ear will talk to you the rest of your life. <laughs> Won't it? I think the guy became a believer. And I think that's why John mentions him. Because others know him. I think, and, and here's Malchus, and here's where he comes into the story. It's kind of cool. The warning. Jesus warned Peter that he would fail when the attack began. Listen, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That's out of Zechariah. He had spoken those words that same evening while they were walking toward the Mount of Olives. That quote I just read, while Jesus was leaving Jerusalem, going over to the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley we've just talked about, on his way there to wait in Gethsemane for Judas. He says that. He says, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to leave me this night. But Peter defiantly, defiantly rejected the warning, saying, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. At that point, Peter is not the most popular guy in the group. <laughs> Jesus then gave him a specific prophecy which told him exactly when it would happen. Truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And yet Peter still continued his denial. He said Jesus was wrong. He wouldn't fail because he was determined to remain loyal no matter what came. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. The coaching. Even though Jesus knew Peter would fail, he still taught him what he must do so he would not fail. He asked three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to join him as he prepared himself so he wouldn't fail. Please notice Jesus does not go into this situation without preparing himself because he needs to be strengthened. The disciples, he says, now you do the same thing. You need to do this with me. They figure, no, I don't need it. We don't, we don't need it. He began by, to pray and wrestle against the human impulse in himself to escape the misery that lay ahead. Some people struggle with that. How, how did it sound? He, he said, what did he say? Father, if it be thy will, may this cup pass from me the cup of suffering he's saying is there a way do I have to do this 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 is this is the human side of him remember he has laid aside his divine knowledge he is not using this he has laid it aside and and he knows from scripture and he knows just probably by just just by the spirit of the Lord telling him the horror that lays ahead of him 
and people. It's un unspeakable. It's just appalling. And I think the worst part of what lay ahead of him was the fact that he would have the, the moral weight of, of the sin of the world placed on him. This, this, I mean, you and I understand sin. We, we live in it. He had never sinned in all eternity. So in a sense, he's a very tender, naive person in that sense. He's never had that feeling. And all of a sudden, the filth and the guilt and the shame of all the sin of the world would fall on him. And he, and he said, Father, is there another way? And then he said this, what? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He submitted. And he did that several times. He's processing. He's processing the will of God in his heart. I must, I must be, know the will of God, and I will submit to it. He began to pray and wrestle against the human impulse in himself to escape the misery that lay ahead. He asked for release, but repeatedly chose to submit to the Father's will. He had hoped that they too would pray and prepare themselves, but none did. All three kept falling asleep. When he found them asleep, he spoke directly to Peter. Now, I didn't realize that until I just looked at it at this time. When he says what I'm about to read, it was to Peter. Not, I mean, I'm sure the others heard it, but he said this to Peter. So you could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. He was telling Peter how to strengthen himself so he wouldn't fail when the attack came. He wanted Peter to do what he was doing. Watch, meaning discern the will of God. Did you say discern the will of God? What does watch mean? You tell me. That's why we do this. Discern the will of God. What is he watching for? He's watching for the prophetic leading. He's watching for God. Look, when we're about to deal with something, we need to settle in our hearts what's the will of God. Is this the will of God? Am I to go through this? Is this something I'm to embrace? And he settled in his heart. Yes, it is. I need to deal with this. This is the will of God. I will go through it. He watched. And then what's the second thing he did? He prayed. Say pray. Meaning submit to his will and call on him for strength. So having, having watched and decided the will of God, he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. And he surrendered to the will of God. He, and, then he, and then he prayed and sought God for strength. How traumatic was that? That moment was so traumatic that he, that he went into some sort of, of, of physical response in which sweat poured off of him. He, have you ever seen people like that who have been in such pain? Or, or such uh, fear, you can have it in a, in a fear attack, where they, it just drips, it just pours off you. You're just soaked with your sweat. Uh, I have, as a pastor, I have been in places with people uh, who literally had to have towels over their laps as it just poured off of them. And it just hurts me to think of this. Jesus was doing that. It was just pouring off him in the agony as he's processing through this. In the course of that hour, Jesus settled the matter of the will of God in his own heart. And God helped him by sending an angel to strengthen him. You saw that, did you? That an angel actually came and strengthened him. It was because Peter did not do this that he failed. His failure was, wasn't because he was weak. It was because he didn't recognize his weakness and seek God's strength. Now that's worth your coming here today. I'm going to say it again. His failure wasn't because he was weak. It was because he didn't recognize his weakness and seek 
God's strength. The key to spiritual maturity isn't that you somehow become this strong, invincible individual who doesn't deal with temptations or bad attitudes or anything anymore. The key is knowing you're weak and quickly turning to God for strength. That person is strong in God. Your flesh never goes away until we die. We, it is redeemed in potential, but your resurrection has not arrived. You, have, you are spiritually now joined to Christ. Uh, the, there's no more of the curse gone there. You, you are, he, is, he is with you. Your relationship with him spiritually is completely intact. Paul will even say you're seated in heavenly places with him right now. So that's healed. But our bodies have yet to, to receive the power of his, of his resurrection. That awaits our resurrection. So we still, that's why you die. That's why this old body of yours is getting old and creakety and and hurts and stuff like that. It's still part of a fallen dying situation. The body is still under its judgment. And it will die. It will pay the price that is of sin unless, of course, course the Lord comes and we're uh, uh, raptured in the middle of it. So we, we die, but then we get a new body. That is our final completion. When my spirit's whole and now I have a body that is no longer full of these terrible things. Understand that. Because a lot of people think, as I, as I grow in Christ, as I become a mature Christian, I shouldn't feel temptations. I, I, shouldn't, I, mean, I should be beyond this. I mean, I still get angry. What, what's wrong with me? Nothing. You're just like the rest of us. I still feel, I, I can still feel fears. I still have adrenaline pumped through me. I still have, I, I sleep well last night and I'm, I'm, I'm edgy today. Yes, you are. And so are we when we don't sleep well. So is everybody. It has, do you understand? Recognizing your weakness and quickly carrying it to Christ and finding his strength. That's maturity. That's maturity. The explanation Jesus not only told Peter that he would fail, he also told him why he would fail. And in doing so, he explained the basic human condition. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know I want you to say that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is... Say it again, good and loud. The spirit is willing. Jesus taught this. Jesus laid the foundation. Paul will pick it up, but our Lord is the one who said it. The spirit is willing. My spirit, your spirit. When we're in Christ, I want to do the right thing. I want to obey. I love him and I want to please him, but my flesh is another matter. You see it? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the truth we all have to face. Even when we want to do the right thing, there are forces in us That are stronger than our willpower. Our spirit lives inside a body that has a mind of its own. It's from our body, which Jesus calls the flesh, that arises the appetites, impulses, weariness, fears, angers, lusts, depression, and confusion that make it so hard for our spirit to lead. Paul uses the same word flesh to explain that there are powerful forces which reside in the physical material from which we are made. He speaks about his own struggle, which led him to understand this fact, and then explains that God has not left us to be victims of our flesh. 
Through, through Jesus Christ, he has supplied us with the power to enable our spirits to rule over our flesh. In Romans 7, Paul goes through, his own, he shares his own struggle. And he says, when I was a young man, a young, a young uh, rabbinical student, you know, he said, I, I did fine. He said, I, I kept all the law. I had no problem. And he said, then I came to this passage that says, do not lust. Now, people always translate it because it's Paul, do not covet. But the word means lust. And so he says, I came to this passage that says, do not lust. And he said, all of a sudden, it just surged up. And now I'm dealing with all of this, this, this struggle with lust. And he says, the harder I tried to, to control it, the worse it got. Anyone relate to Paul right about now? Lust or fear or anger. You know the, the feeling? All of those things. He said, there, there it was. What, 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 he's, what he's pointing to is, as a rabbinical student, he could obey the outward things like keep the Sabbath. But man, when it came to the attitudes and the inner, inner things of the heart, he couldn't control that. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. He says it's not enough to, that, you, that, you, that you, you, uh, you haven't committed physically uh, immorality. The fact that you lust in your heart and long for it makes you an adulterer. The fact that you haven't actually killed somebody doesn't mean you're not a murderer when you would murder them in your heart. You see it? He's going inside us to our attitudes. So Paul says, Paul says now it flared up. And then he describes in this beautiful passage, he says, the good that I would do, I don't do. The evil that I hate, I do it. He says, my spirit wants to do what's right. But my flesh, this body of mine, the stuff that I'm made out of has a mind of its own. And then he concludes, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this dying body? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then on the one hand, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But with my flesh, the law of sin. You see it? How about, I love him. I want to please him. My desire is there. My heart is right. But I have forces in me that are bigger than my willpower. This is the foundational truth that when we get a hold of it, we now can get free. I have to see how weak I am before I turn to the Lord and find my strength. Through Jesus, Christ, uh, through Jesus Christ, he has supplied us with the power to enable our spirits to rule over our flesh. Paul, Paul puts it this way. He says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he will give life to your dying bodies. He said that power is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If Peter had to listen to Jesus, pardon me, if Peter had listened to Jesus and humbly accepted what he said, he would have realized that his good intentions, his genuine love for Jesus, and even his desire to die with him wasn't enough. Not because there was something wrong with his desire, but because he underestimated the power of his flesh. Unfortunately, Peter had to learn the hard way by painful failure, but he did learn the assurance. Even while, G while he was warning Peter that he would fail, Jesus assured him that he would be restored. He told him that he had already prayed for him and was confident that his faith would not fail. Would you read this with me out loud? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
with those few words, when once you have turned again. Do you hear that? Satan's desire to sift you like wheat, and you are so going to blow this thing. But when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. He put a seed of hope in him. He spoke hope even before he had failed. With those few words, Jesus assured Peter that in spite of all he would go through, his faith in Jesus would not cease. In time, he would repent and be restored. Surely, Peter remembered those words in the dark days after he denied the Lord. They must have given him hope that his failure wasn't an end, only a painful step along the path of his discipleship. Jesus had prayed for him, even if he hadn't been wise enough to pray for himself. And Jesus said he would turn, turn around and come back. A seed of hope had been planted in him even before he failed. What, someone asked me the other day, what's, what's your favorite, favorite scripture? And they said, I suppose you have a lot of them. And I said, well, I do have a lot of scriptures I, I like. But I said, there's one that I, I, I think of, and I've even played with the idea of putting it on a license plate or something. It's Philippians 1.6. And Philippians 1, 6 says, Paul says this. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? What is that? That's my seed of hope. That he who's laid hold of me, he who's begun a good work in me, will continue to perform that work until the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't let go. And that's what Jesus was telling Peter right there. He says, you're going to fail it's going to be messy, but you'll come back. I have prayed for you, Peter. I have prayed for you, and you're going to come back. You're coming back. And when you do, I want you to take this and use it in ministry. Isn't that beautiful? He puts hope. We need to do the same thing for each other. Sometimes when somebody's really on a wild, on a wild hair, you just need to say to them, well, I'm praying for you, and, and, and God doesn't let go. I have said that to people. I said, well, you're, I know you're stubborn, but he said, I said, God's not going to let you go. It's just a matter of how, how messy is this going to be. It is, isn't it? And, and life does have its way. You know, you'll have people who are just, not, who are just really enjoying the rebellion. But I'll tell you something. Age and time and circumstance and people and your own flesh, they'll catch up to you. Life has got its own ugliness to it, and that we all have to come to grips with the, with, with, with the truth of things, and God will not let us go. He is amazingly loving. He's amazingly patient. He will pursue. You can run away from him, but, I, but it's, it's quite the trip to try to do it. The assignment. Jesus told Peter that after he'd failed and came back to him, he was to strength, he was to strengthen your brothers. In that humbled condition, after bitterly discovering how weak his flesh was, Peter's assignment was to help others who were also weak. After his failure, he would have something important to give them. He would understand the difference between his flesh and his spirit. He would know what it meant to watch and pray. He knew why a person had to do that. He would, he, he would know that Jesus doesn't stop loving a person after they fail but has every intention of restoring that person to his or her calling. And he would know how God used his failure to humble him and turn him into a brother who could gently strengthen others. Paul expressed this, that the assignment that Jesus gave to Peter this way. Would you read this with me? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Did you follow his logic? He's saying, when God comforts you in the midst of your, of your suffering, you discover a level of, of comfort and of, uh, you develop a faith. You discover the power of God in that area that becomes something you can minister to others. Your brokenness, your weakest point, your collapse actually becomes something that makes you tender, gentle, and understanding so that you now are way more effective as a minister in that area than you ever were before. God takes our brokenness and turns it into something that becomes our strength. Every year they run the uh, uh, series that I did years ago. I don't even remember when I did it on, on depression. And the, they put it on the radio in Life Lessons. Yeah, and usually around the holidays. So it may have been on, I don't know. I don't listen to myself. I can't stand it. Uh, but they, they, they run it. And every time they do, I start having people show up in church who say, I've been listening to you on the radio, and Pastor, it's such a help to me. Or I get letters and all kinds of stuff like this come in. On that subject, now the rest of the year, not so much. I mean, well, people come, but, but it's, it's different. And they'll often say, Pastor, you really understand Depression. Why do you think I understand depression? Why can I talk about it? Because I didn't use any books or anything else. I just talked out of my heart and out of my own understanding. Because I went through savage depression. In fact, it didn't break in me till I was 43 years old. And I, I still can have, I, I, I'm, I, I still can have anxiety and stuff like that. It's not like I'm, I'm cruising. But I, I, th that real horrible stuff that, uh, that I, you, if you know what I'm talking about, I, it broke in a miracle in me when I was 43 years old. But what it did is it left me scarred. It left me different. I have, I, I, this, when, when people come to me and, and talk to me about depression, I, I, you'll never, I never go through this, well, come on now. Can't you see how much good's in your life? How come you're looking at all the negative, you know? Or, or I, I understand, I totally understand. It's not, <laughs> you, you, you see, that's not the point. It's not the point. I know what it feels like. I know the pain of it. And so when I speak, I speak out of understanding. I speak out of tenderness. I've had people come to me and ask me to pray for their depression for as much as 10 years. And, and I don't go, you again? Didn't I just pray for you? Why? I get it. When it goes, it'll go. And until then, if I can give you any oxygen, praise God. You understand? Why am I like that? This is my pain. This is one of my deepest things. I understand it. Where's yours? It's, the, it's in your pain. It's the thing where you really, really hit bottom, where you really were wounded, where you really failed. When you come back, he says, now strengthen your brethren. That becomes for you something you can bring to others and you will find the anointing, the understanding, the way you speak, the way you treat people is one of those, that's one of those powerful areas in your life. That's what Paul is pointing to. Peter's assignment was to learn lessons from his own failure. 
And then humbly and gently, with no attitude of self-righteousness, share those lessons and speak those words of hope to people who were struggling with the same weakness with which he had struggled. In other words, his failure would become a foundation stone in his ministry. Resolutions. We'll eat less and exercise more. Watch less and read more. Speak less and listen more. Frown less and smile more. Sit less and walk more. Spend less and save more. And oh, regularly call or write family and friends. And we actually mean it when we say those things. We really want to change. But within a matter of weeks or months, we failed again. Why? Peter shows us the answer. Like him, we tend to rely on our willpower and good intentions. Not realizing the overwhelming power of the forces that tempt us. Peter shows us that our victory must start by realizing how weak we are. By welcoming the fact that we can't do it without God. Did you hear that? By welcoming the fact that we can't do it without God. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians is reflecting on this. He says, I, had a, I, have a thorn in my, I have a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it is. There's all sorts of theological debate on that. He says, I have a thorn in my, in my flesh. And he says, I have implored God three times to take it away. And he hasn't done it. And he's, but he, what he said to me is, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Paul has actually said, uh, God actually says to Paul, I'm, I'm leaving this, so you need me. Because when you're weak, my strength comes through you. And, then he, and so Paul says, therefore I will rejoice in my weakness. I will rejoice in my weakness that God may be all in all. Isn't that beautiful? You're, he leaves us weak in areas. There's areas in your life that are never going to get strong. They're never going to get fixed. You're always going to need him. But he'll always be there. And if you let that, and if, if and quit trying to deny it, quit trying to blame somebody, quit, you just, just, there it is. And just, and what do we do? Take it to the Lord. And, 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 and call on him for strength on a regular basis. That will actually become one of the strongest areas in your life. He'll take that weakness. And glorify himself through you. Not even Jesus dared to face the assault. Until he had prepared himself spiritually. I, I noticed that. It really struck me. Jesus prepared himself. He watched and prayed. He waited until he was strengthened. And so must we. We would be wise to postpone. All the other resolutions. Until we have put in place. The one critical step which will allow our spirit to rule our flesh the discipline of daily fellowship with God would you stand with me you know what I mean by the discipline of daily fellowship with God we teach it if, if you say I, I don't know how to do that we have a class we call operation solid lives OSL and it teaches a lot of good things but one of the the real gifts that I think that program brings is it teaches people to have a daily time with God now my point isn't did you read your Bible today did you pray enough 
when you and I discover how weak we are, when we get tired of saying dumb things to people, Boy, I could go somewhere with that, couldn't I? But I won't. When, when, when we get tired of, of, law, of our temper or our fears gripping us, when we get tired of, of, of the damage it does to us and to others, that daily time with the Lord is oxygen. It, it, it's just, it's, it's, like, it's like I'm hungry and I need to eat. It's like I'm thirsty, I need to drink. It's like I so need God and I need to, I need to put off this weakness and put on his strength. In that area. Or I know what I'll do. And I know where I'll go today. He. Here's what I can tell you. At least for all the years I've walked with him. And it's been a long time. He will always be there for you. He will never forsake you. It will never grow old. It will never. It will, he, will, he will never not be fresh. And alive and beautiful. When we seek him. And if you can accept your weakness and just say, I am. I don't mean accept it so you keep doing it. I'm talking about accepting it and admitting it and knowing that in this place particularly, I need God and I need him on a regular basis. And if you build into your lifetimes, how you do it when you will. Even in, in the car on your way to work, have, if, if, if you have to go terribly or early or something. If, if, if it's morning time, if you can. Maybe it's lunchtime. I don't know where you put it in, but, but, but honestly, in the day, sooner the better. You sure save yourself a lot of apologies that way. <laughs> you, you just press in and you draw close. I, I, I always do. I just always do. It's not a legalism. It's not something I'm trying to do out of piety. It's something, I'm, it's, it's something I desperately have to do so I can be strong in him. Holy Spirit, we are your people and we have we are as weak as Peter in our own areas and we need you to strengthen us as much as he did teach us the difference Lord or Jesus you taught us the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak we do love you we want to please you we want to walk purely and wisely and, and 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 selflessly in so many areas but that flesh of ours is just something we ask you lord to 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 teach us every one of us to find ways that you draw us close and we trade our weakness for your strength and we put on daily the strength of god we moment by moment learn to turn to you and find your presence and find your strength and we declare this, that in you, we can do all things. In you, we can do all things. We are not defined by our weakness. Our weakness simply takes us to you so we can be strengthened. Blessed be God who set us free from our weakness, who allows our lives to flourish and to function without being controlled by that weakness because you've given yourself to us. We receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive you, Jesus Christ, your leadership in our lives. We say to you this day, we need you with all that's in us. You are breath to us. You are, you are drink to our dry souls. You are our life. We love you, and you are with us always, even to the end of the age. We confess it and bless you in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, 
please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.